Welcome to In Your Area. My name is Christine Cusinelli, Senior Advocacy Advisor with Area. This episode is one of a special series which interviews each of the UCP party leadership candidates on questions of interest to realtors. On October 6th, the UCP party will choose a new leader and that leader will become Alberta's next Premier. In this episode, Jolene Ledine Reimer, Chair-Elect of Area, sits down with UCP candidate Danielle Smith, former MLA for Highwood. If you are interested in voting in the UCP leadership race and having a say in who becomes the next Premier, visit the party's website before August 12th at unitedconservative.ca. Good morning. I'm here this morning with Danielle Smith, one of our UCP leadership hopefuls. And Danielle, you know, welcome to Area. I'm Jolene Ladine Reimer. I'm the chair-elect of our organization. And as you know, we represent the interest of over 11,000 real estate industry members from 10 local real estate boards through the province. Area provides strategic leadership and advances the Alberta real estate profession through member-centric services, advocacy, and professional development. So welcome, Danielle. It's nice to have you with us this morning. My pleasure. Hi, Jolene. What can you tell us about yourself? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I, I'll i try to keep it brief. I, I think okay. if you want to be interested in, in kind of my varied history, I think most people will know me because I was in politics once before, twice before, actually, on the school board, and then in uh, as official opposition leader in 20, 2009. Whenever I leave politics, I... I tend to like to return to media, which is my first love. Which, so I've been a, an editorial writer and columnist for the Herald. Most recently, the Herald and Journal both published my column. I've also been a national talk show host on television, a radio talk show host on uh, Chorus, so Chet in Edmonton and QR77 in Calgary. And I've done some podcasting, too, once I left the media. And then finally, I've done uh, business advocacy. I was a landowner rights advocate back uh, when I first started advocacy, then a small business advocate, and then with Alberta Enterprise Group, which is mid-sized businesses. So I've kind of recycled three different careers. Yeah, I live in High River. I'm a business owner myself. I own a railway dining car, which has been converted into a restaurant from uh, from the days of CN when they had passenger service that took a bunch of folks to Expo. They needed a bunch of railway dining cars. It got decommissioned, moved to High River, and my husband and I bought it and renovated it. And we make literally the best eggs Benedict in the province. So if you're ever down there, you should come. Oh, well, I must put that on my calendar. That sounds like a fun place to visit. Thank you, Danielle. You brushed up on uh, advocacy and, you know, like to, to just ask you some questions about that. Alberta real estate professionals, as you can imagine, are very entrepreneurial we're working hard to help Albertans buy and sell the largest financial asset that they invest in. And ironically, Alberta real estate professionals have a national disadvantage on profitability, consistently demonstrating the lowest profit margins in the country. For senators running, realtor profitability in Alberta is 20% lower than our national average, and on two-thirds the profit margins made by industry professionals in our neighboring western provinces. This is largely a red tape issue. Our members would be interested in knowing your thoughts on red tape reduction and how in the foreseeable future you would create effective policy that could impact realtor profitability. You know, I'd be interested in talking to you more about that red tape issue because it seems to me that's a pretty huge difference in, in profit margin. I'm trying to figure out what that would be if it's because we have relatively more affordable homes here, particularly with regard to Vancouver and Toronto. So I would assume that their profitability is higher in places where they've got higher markets or if it's that properties aren't moving. 
the one thing that I have heard is a big problem with land titles transfer that is taking 110 days for properties to transfer. And I can imagine that that is probably creating all sorts of additional costs of interest and escrow and legal fees. So uh, clearly we've got to address the land titles issue. I've spoken with the Minister of Service Alberta, who's responsible for digital transformation for the for the province. And he has looked into a system of using blockchain technology so that you can do instant transfers of, of land title, token, sort of tokenize land titles and transfer them. So if we're thinking in that direction about how we can use technology to speed things up. That might be one aspect, but I'd be interested in, in just hearing more from you about what the what the areas of red tape are. Those, those are my initial thoughts. Good, thank you. In Alberta, some licensed professionals have an exemption for municipal business license fees that are levied outside of the municipality where they have their office. Lawyers, accountants, insurance agents, and adjusters, all, for example, have this type of exemption included in the acts that govern them. An exemption like this may offer realtors really tangible savings, but it's also not that simple. Would you be able to tell our listeners what are the behind the scenes considerations that you have committing to a policy like this? There'd be a couple things. I Back in my CFIB advocacy days, there was a pretty good uh, tri-partnership between Park, uh, was Parkland County and a couple of adjacent municipalities where they developed an interprovincial business license, which I thought was quite a wise approach. And I think other regions have, have taken the same uh, approach where you would pay a single fee for your where you're resident and then pay a relatively small additional fee that gives you the ability to do business in the entire region. And then of that intra-municipal license, there'd be some kind of revenue sharing between the municipalities. We may need to do more of that, but more generally, it seems to be the reason municipalities nickel and dime like that is that they are looking for new sources of revenue. And so the, the, their main source of revenue is property taxes. And the, the provincial government takes a huge portion of property taxes out of each municipality in the form of education tax, which just goes into general revenues. So I've been talking with some municipal leaders about how we can try to address these issues at once, that if uh, the Alberta government allows for all of the property tax revenue generated in a municipality to stay there, are there some th- areas where this municipalities would be able to reduce taxes, either reduce business taxes or reduce the permit and fees or reduce the uh, additional levies that they're charging on developers, which is making home ownership less affordable. I think those are the conversations that we have to have with the municipalities, because it seems to me that a lot of the red tape and additional permits are just related to revenue generation. And there's got to be a better way that we can do revenue sharing so that they can get the resources they need without putting that additional burden on business owners. And that would not only help your industry, I think that could help all industries. That's good to hear, Danielle. Alberta governments of the past have always forgone implementing a land transfer tax. And in other provinces, land transfer taxes have been implemented across the country. They see this kind of tax potentially offer significant provincial revenue for the Alberta government. What are your thoughts on holding the line on a no land transfer tax stance in Alberta? Hell no. I've looked at this in other (laughs) jurisdictions and it's, it's absurd. You know, politicians do this all the time, right? They add additional costs, whether it's development levies or additional permits or years and years of restrictions and delays going through with the approval process for subdivisions or all of the additional new lead standards on buildings. And then they say, gosh, when did a housing become so unaffordable? 
So mm-hmm. adding a land transfer tax, all that does is just penalizes the uh, the homeowner. And most people who are who are buying a home are they're going to be investing in that as their principal asset. People who are selling their home are tr- trying to realize some of the equity increase that they've gotten out of the out of home ownership. We we don't have uh, capital taxes on properties for a reason because we understand how important that is for securing a person's future. So no way we just can't even entertain the notion here. There's other ways that uh, we can make sure that we we balance our budget. We certainly wouldn't want to do that. I'm very glad to hear that. On to some tough questions. What makes you the best choice for UCP members who will be voting in the upcoming leadership vote? One of the things that I, I noticed, I mean, I have angered people in the past with some of the decisions I made to join the, the, the PCs in trying to bring unity to our conservative movement. I think when I did that back in 2014, clearly the public was not ready for that. I lost my nomination and Jim Prentice lost the election. But I think in the meantime, what we've seen is that if the conservative movement is divided, it ends up with the NDP being able to win government. The NDP has done a very effective job of coalescing more progressive or left-wing voters around them as the single choice. And I think I've seen Rachel Notley no less than around 40% of the vote in, in every poll since the last election. So if we end up splitting the conservative vote, that means an NDP government. When I started looking at what was happening with the UCP party, I think it's the right entity, but it began to alienate two very key factions of its membership, mostly in uh, rural Alberta. And when rural Alberta decides that they've had enough of, the par- of a party, and they, they will start a new one. It's, uh, it's happened at the federal level, it's happened at the provincial level. And I wanted to make sure after all the pain everybody went through to bring these two parties together, that it didn't blow apart. So that's why I entered back in talking about the two issues that I know are causing disunity. Number one was the vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, and the demonization of people who made a different medical choice. We won't do that again. We won't do lockdowns again. That's my commitment. So I'm hoping that all those folks who've been alienated over the last year because of those decisions will give us another chance. And it's not, I think that group has been mischaracterized in a a lot of ways. I, I think a lot of the folks who are really concerned about mandates are moms and dads of young kids who are worried about the mental health of their children, the learning loss of their kids, and the, uh, the the bullying and division that's happening in the schoolyard. So we've got to make sure that we protect our kids and find a different way to uh, do focus protection on our seniors. So that's number one. The other one is autonomy issues. We have been talking in this province since 2001 about the need to assert ourselves in our areas of jurisdiction. And it has never been more urgent. Every single time we have attempted to negotiate or go to the court or be reasonable, the federal government just keeps on hitting us with harder and harder policies. Most recently, we see Stephen Gilboa, the environment minister, wanting a particular targeted tax on our energy sector, which would force them to reduce emissions 50% in eight years, impossible and also a new targeted tax on our farmers, wanting them to reduce their emissions use by 30% in the middle of a world food security crisis. These are just absurd policies. They're not in their areas of jurisdiction. And so I've proposed an Alberta Sovereignty Act to just put Ottawa on notice that we're going to vigorously defend our constitutional rights, our areas of jurisdiction, and we will not enforce any laws that violates our ability to set our own laws in our uh, areas of exclusive jurisdiction or violate the rights of our citizens. And I think that will also begin to bring back some of those groups that have been looking at forming new parties to fight for greater autonomy. It's really the first step. Then we have to have 
exactly what Quebec has done, create a provincial autonomous economic region, so where we make our own decisions about how we develop our economy with our neighbours, have our own provincial income tax, have our own provincial police, ultimately have our own pension, our own employment insurance, our own immigration program. We have to assert ourselves in all the areas that we have constitutional rights over and really reset our relationship with Canada and let them know that uh, we're just not going to let them keep on taking hits against us and arbitrarily shut down our industry. Thank you. You've touched on uh, on some of this already, Danielle, but I'd, I'd like to just you know put the question forward to see if there's anything more that you'd like to add. What makes you the best choice for the Premier of Alberta in the next election? Well, I think that by when we see Rachel Notley's history, I think part of the problem that she has is that her party is integrated with the federal NDP and Jagmeet Singh. So Jagmeet Singh is walking hand in glove with the federal government in shutting our industry down. He's actually said his condition for supporting the the government for the next three years is that they implement a windfall profits tax against our oil and natural gas sector. So as long as Jagmeet Singh is her boss and is continuing to hammer our industry, we will never have an effective relationship with the federal government. So uh, this is the battle that we've got to fight right now, is who's going to be the, the toughest person to stand up for Ottawa and defend the interests of our citizens so that we can make sure that we continue to be prosperous, that we're able to grow. As we grow, we're going to be able to uh, attract more people here. Want to be good for good for your industry. I mean, I look at the next 30 years that uh, we're not, not only are we going to have the second largest economy because we're such a, a welcoming place, because we have um, an, uh, an embrace of everyone from around the world. Just come here, work hard, and you will succeed. You can start a business. You can raise your family, and you will be supported. I think we're going to double our population by 2050. And in doing so, uh, that, that is going to create a, a huge amount of need for economic growth, for our principal industry to be strong and vibrant and generating revenue so we can build schools and hospitals and roads and be able to accommodate that population growth. We cannot do that if Ottawa is standing in our way. And so when I look at who we're going to be up against, we're going to be up against somebody who is working with federal leader Jagmeet Singh to shut our industry down. We have to do the exact opposite. And that's the reason why I think that uh, we need to have a strong leader who's going who's gonna to take that battle on. Thank you, Danielle. What was the most surprising thing that you learned when you became an MLA? The most surprising thing was that the civil service has health spending accounts and, and that uh, the politicians got them as well. The reason that was a surprise is because I wanted to run on implementing health spending accounts in 2014, but I thought it would be too difficult a concept to explain in an election cycle. But now that I realize that so many professions have a health spending account, so if our civil service has it, it seems to me that, that, that all Albertans should. Not everybody has the kind of employment where employers are able to provide that for them. Thinking of our, our frontline service workers or truckers or people who work in the retail industry, those may be at the lower end of the income scale. And there's a reason why those types of mechanisms are provided. It gives people an addition, a cash amount that allows them to, to spend it on all the things not covered by Alberta Healthcare. And there's a ton of things not covered by Alberta Healthcare. So those are the, uh, that's the reason why uh, I was glad to discover that because now that I'm taking another run at politics, I feel like it's important for us to make sure that we have a health spending account so that we can provide that to everyone. And the fact that uh, the civil service already has it suggests to me that that's a pretty good target. Uh, some of the, some of the civil service have $950 that is deposited in their account. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, we'd, we'd start small with $300, but I think ultimately that's where we need to go. And if we can start getting people investing in their own health care, in prevention, in good nutrition, in diet and exercise and meditation, then I think that we're going to 
to do uh, to do really well in, in being able to keep our, our healthcare costs under control and have a, a healthy population. So that was, I, I suppose, a big surprise, but it's been on my mind now for 10 years about how we might be able to do the same. We'll change direction here a little bit, Danielle. You mentioned, you know, meditation and rest and relaxation and exercise and nutrition. So I'd like to ask you about your favorite ice cream flavor. <laughs> Perfect. It's a transition. Clearly uh, chocolate. I don't know that there really are any other flavors of ice cream. And where do you like to go for that? (laughs) When I was a kid, it was uh, McKay's ice cream in Cochrane. My parents have uh, have a trailer in Sycamore, so they've got Dutchman Dairy is nearby. So that would be that would yes. be the place to go. Very good. How do you spe- prefer to spend your Sunday afternoons? Walking my dogs. It's uh, especially if it's a beautiful, nice, warm day. We've got beautiful dog walking areas in High River. So going out for a nice long walk in the Mercer Lens is about as perfect an, an afternoon as I can imagine. What is your favorite all-time Alberta attraction to visit with your friends or family? There are so many. When I was a kid, it was Cochrane for ice cream, Banff for the candy store, uh, and the and the hot springs, and then Drumheller to go to the museum in the Badlands. I just mm. found a new place that I think I'm going to make my return spot is uh, the Crow's Nest Pass. They've got four wonderful mm. little municipalities down there, and terrific attractions like the Prohibition Museum in Crow's Nest, and the, there's also a historic hotel. It's a, a bit of a beer parlor. That's where it has some, uh, and it over and it overlooks the the uh, ski hill. They've also got a beautiful golf course. Yes. Uh, they've got um, as well the river system and beautiful mountains and historic buildings. I, I I'm looking forward to going back. We were only down there for a short time, and we're already making our, our plan for our next trip down. Very good. My next question was: If you could spend a week anywhere in the world, where would you go? It sounds like the Crow's Nest Pass would be a good destination. <laughs> well, I get to go there anytime I want. If I had a, a, a larger break, I, it's Panama for me. I, I, I discovered the place last year, and it's a beautiful country. It's got four and a half million people, so it's about the same size as ours. They've got the Panama Canal, which generates $2 billion a year in revenue, so they're growing and they're investing in infrastructure and they've got this beautiful historic center in Panama City, two million people and a beautiful river walk, but it's got uh, it's got buildings that are 500 years old, amazing history. And uh, I, I only uh, spent a few days there last time I was down. So I'll be, I'll be planning on going back and going to some of those historic sites. One of the things I'd love to do is I just discovered that Airbnb offers Airbnb experiences. And so it's just a little local guide who takes you around and shows you the sites. We did three of those tours last time around and you just learn so much about a place by doing that. So that is my number one destination these days. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Danielle. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. It was really interesting to hear about your your three uh, different careers and your time in politics and um, some of your aspirations, um, you know, for Florida is, is going in the next uh, few years. And just would like to thank you for your service. Is there anything that you, else you'd like to share with us? Well, th- thank you, Jolene. I know that you guys do important work. And I always uh, I always love talking to industry advocacy groups because you see things from a, a perspective that politicians don't al- always see. So let's, uh, let's keep in touch as issues arise and, and hopefully we'll be able to solve some of them for you and your members. I look forward to that. All the best with your campaign. Thanks you for being bet. with us, Danielle. Take care. Bye now. Bye for now. Thanks again for tuning in to another edition of In Your Area. 
you can access our podcast on all main streaming services and feel free to share with friends, family, or colleagues. And if you'd like more information about how to vote for the next UCP leader, the website again is unitedconservative.ca. We look forward to seeing you next time. We are in your area.